Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the PFN Scouting Podcast. I am your host, Dalton Miller, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ian Cummings. Week two of college football season is over with. Uh, week three, we get into a little bit of conference play, but we will have that preview for you on Thursday's episode. This is Monday, so we're going to go back, and we're going to talk about the first two weeks of the college football season. We're going to check in on some of the quarterback prospects or potential quarterback prospects coming in the 2024 NFL draft. And then we're going to get into a few of the bigger matchups from Saturday, Friday that we want to talk about as well. But as always, Ian, I got to ask, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I would have been doing good, but um, I played, I played Brian actually in the first week of our PFN fantasy football league. And man, it was a, it was close. Was GG, GG, Brian. Good game. You got me this time. Uh, but uh, <laughs> man, I almost made a comeback. I almost made a comeback. Tony Pollard gave me a late buzz. But, um, you know, I had Puka Nakua on my bench. I added him really late in the week and I benched him for Sky Moore, man. Oh, God, I'm never going to get <clears> over that. that. That's missed points, points left on the table. But congratulations, Brian. It was hard fought. You got it. So shout out to Brian, if it, you know, as he's editing this. But uh, yeah, aside from that, man, it's been good. Uh, college football, the first two weeks been very um, eventful action-packed and um, you know one thing that we're going to try and do this cycle in particular right you know you always want to follow the quarterbacks that's always the most notable position but this year in particular man we've talked about it numerous times on the podcast the it's depth crazy. the volume the talent at the top uh, it's really unique and we haven't really seen too many classes like this on the surface so every two to three weeks we're going to try and just do a quarterback check-in see who's trending up who's trending down and um, who's undergone the most development in recent weeks because already you know through two weeks obviously a small sample size but there's already a lot of room for optimism for a few particular young qbs at the top of the board yeah and i mean we might as well just uh get these two out of the way drake may caleb williams two weeks in a row these dudes just go out and do otherworldly things on a football field uh, obviously drake may had a couple of uh interceptions in in the first week of the season but dude is an absolute playmaker. You wrote up that game afterwards for your prospect uh, highlight. And I mean, the stuff that he is doing with his arms, he's really, I think, doing a lot of what we always wanted to see from CJ Stroud uh, in that ability to make plays out of structure and be a little bit better at it because May had obviously tried that last year. You know, he's, he is a playmaker, but there was a lot of inconsistencies in his ability when he got outside of the pocket. And that's just kind of the step up that Caleb Williams had on him. You're seeing that pocket ability that Drake May has, but now you are starting to see a little bit more of the otherworldly playmaking ability outside of structure as well. And I know Caleb Williams is fantastic, but I, I do think it is going to be a legitimate talk, a legitimate conversation about one and two here and not a one a and a or a one a and a one b instead of like a one two like with andrew luck and robert griffin the third back in the day we knew andrew luck was going to be the top pick even though rg3 was otherworldly talented as well coming out of baylor i think that this is going to be much more of a conversation about who you're going to draft first overall oh yeah for sure i think the first two weeks of the season we haven't really learned anything new about these guys it's really just kind of confirmed what we already knew about them and you know strengths and weaknesses right you know we talked about may uh in that first week those two interceptions neither one was 100 percent on him but both of them could have used better situational placement on the first one in particular he triggered a little bit too late when he was rolling to his right off script right so just things like that you know little modulations in the off script process and then you know the second one as well 
uh, should have been placed in the back shoulder. He made it a 50-50 ball by placing it too far inside. So just little modulations with situational uh, flexibility that you'd like to see improve from a young QB. But the things that he can do in the pocket, right, when it comes to manipulating defensive backs and using the arm elasticity to widen windows, right, that's very impressive. And then you mentioned it too, out of structure. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's got phenomenal arm elasticity and arm strength. And, you know, it's something that gets overlooked sometimes just because Caleb Williams is so absurd in that department, right? It's a high bar to clear, but you don't want to discount what May has because he does have a ton of natural talent. And then on Williams' side too, you know, hyper elite creator, right? You know, I think some of the knocks that we've seen that we saw in the summer, have kind of reared their head up again. There are times where he will overlook short targets, try and go for the big play, just continue to improve it, taking what the defense gives you, right? You know, I think we can still see improvement in that aspect, but there's no replacement for hyper elite creative capacity. And that's what Caleb Williams has. And that's why, you know, there's a good chance still that he could be the number one pick over May. I think it's either one of those two, but my stance, and I think your stance as well, was that it was a toss-up heading into the season, QB1A, QB1B, and I think you're right. I don't think anything has changed in that regard. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just – he's playing Madden out there. Yeah. That's that's the best way that I can describe Caleb Williams' play is he's just out there playing Madden. You know, the hitch is open, but why hit the hitch when you can roll out to your right, avoid a couple of tacklers, and chuck it up 35 yards down the field on yeah. a rope? Like, that is just what he wants to do. Uh, Shitter Sanders. That's the next one we got to talk about. He might not be number three on our list right now of the top 10 quarterbacks or potential quarterbacks in the NFL draft, but nobody has more hype. And this might be including Drake May and Caleb Williams than Shadur Sanders, who has put up absolutely asinine numbers in the first two weeks of the college football season. Listen, it, him and Travis Hunter, both, these weren't low-level recruits that had to go to an HBCU because there were no bigger options. They went there because of Dion, and now they are at Colorado as high-end prospects. I mean, Travis Hunter was the best prospect in the country. Um, And now you're seeing that rear its head in the Pac-12. And, I mean, they dismantled Nebraska. They beat the crap out of TC. Like, this might legitimately be a pretty good football team, and that's something that I don't think many of us – thought would be the case i mean i think a lot of us thought three four wins for the entire season well they have two in the first two weeks and it looks like this offense is going to be able to move the ball consistently because of what sanders is able to do as a passer i mean he doesn't just look like a great athlete who can throw the football he looks like a legitimate passer back there and that's something that for a young kid like him is really, really big. I'm very excited to get deeper into his tape as the Pac-12 season unfolds. Yeah, I am extremely excited to run his grade, right? Because I think when you have a young QB who you can tell, right? You know, like we put numerical grades on categories like pocket presence and mechanics and accuracy and things like that, right? But you can tell when a quarterback operationally just has a greater feel for it, you know, it's just more naturally inclined for things like pocket management, the internal clock, right. You know, the situational mobility in the pocket placement, right. You know, quick processing, decision-making things like that. When there is a very good operator in the pocket, when he has a feel for that phase of the game, you see greater control, greater composure. 
And that's what we've seen from Shadur Sanders these past two weeks, right? He is always in complete control and complete command, uh, just calm as can be in the pocket. Even when, you know, space is modulating, even when blocks are failing a little bit, he knows how to adjust, he knows how to reset, and he knows how to control the pocket and control the field with his eyes too. And I think, you know, he's done a very good job of maximizing opportunities with quick decision-making, with accuracy and precision, and then with that ability to create when he needs to. I think he's really checked all of the boxes early on. Um, you know, is the creation capacity elite? You know, I don't know if it's at Caleb Williams level, but he is agile enough to sidestep, evade blocks and get out into space. He's clearly athletic enough to do that. And the arm talent off script to generate generate velocity, hit those tight windows outside the numbers at the boundary. Uh, He's got all of that in his toolbox. But I think the most impressive thing for Sanders in particular, you know, has been how controlled and composed he is in each operational area. I mean, it's been very impressive to see. And I think he and Hunter are definitely the engine for this offense right now. You know, I think you look at the roster top to bottom. You know, it's not a bad roster by any means, but that star combination is really what's elevated them the past two weeks. And I'm really intrigued to see because we've got a ton of really uh, exciting Pac-12 matchups on deck for that team. And it's going to be fun to see how they stack up because Shadir Sanders, in my opinion, the way that not just not just the talent, like you said, but the way that he plays quarterback is very translatable for college production. And for that NFL transition, because he's just calm, composed, in control, in command. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon because it's just so consistent. Speaking of that type of of command and composure, I I was really impressed with Quinn Ewers this week against Alabama. I I really was. And it wasn't just, I mean, because when you look at a Steve Sarkeesian offense, you know, especially a a Sark offense going up against uh, his former head coach, he was obviously the offensive coordinator at Alabama. He has an intimate knowledge of that defense, and he was able to play with that a little bit. And, you know, obviously guys like Adonis Mitchell um, and Xavier Worthy are fantastic. I was very impressed with a 160-pound Xavier Worthy getting absolutely yeah. smacked on the sideline and still picking up that first down uh, on third down. And uh, Jatavion uh, Sanders is is a, a beast as well at tight end. He has the weapons, and I think what I'm seeing more from him this year is that confident ability to push the limits in the intermediate and deep areas of the field and then just that free-flowing playmaking ability that made him the top recruit in the nation and made him such a, a legend coming out of high school. Uh, so I think he's playing with you know more confidence operationally this year, which is big, and then just the consistency uh, in his motion and his accuracy I, I thought was really good against Alabama, and that's very good defense. Uh, I was, uh, was a bit surprised at, at how well – those wide receivers were winning, but they weren't winning all of the time. And, and you still had to go out there and make plays. Uh, I thought that the deep ball uh, to Mitchell on the, uh, on the post was awesome. And uh, I think that this is a, an offense at Texas that could go a long way because of the playmaking ability that they have. Yeah, I think so too. And I think one emphasis for yours in this game, right. Was the deep ball placement. That's something that's mm-hmm. not been there. It wasn't there in 2022 this game he delivered uh he had multiple opportunities i think it was three of five if i'm if i remember correctly uh challenging down the field and you know each time you know even even then there were a couple drops down the field where he put it right in the exact bucket he needed to uh so you mentioned it right the free-flowing nature of his game his mechanics is something that's always been a little polarizing and coming into the year 
uh, we both kind of express the desire to see more control and more discipline with that, right? And there are still sometimes some instances where he'll kind of float a little bit and, you know, his his foot, his feet will be a little inconsistent and tug his shoulders out of alignment and that can cause misses either low or high. Uh, you still see that instability from time to time. But I do think he has improved at using that controlled shoulder tilt, using his arm angles to his advantage uh, rather than, you know, causing more volatility. And he's shown that he can adjust his placement, his trajectory, and give his receivers the best chance to win. That boundary ball to A.D. Mitchell just outside of Kool-Aid McKinstry's reach, uh, that was a phenomenal place ball. Uh, it had just the right amount of pace and touch on it to get into that bucket. Um, and that that kind of, you know, manipulation, that control over that layering ability uh, is really what you need to convert in the deep range. It's not just about having a strong arm. It's not just about having the right amount of loft. You need to kind of mix those two together. And I think Ewers is starting to find a better balance for that. So that was the biggest takeaway for me um, in the Alabama game. But then at the same time, too, I think he's seeing the field a little bit better. There's There were some times where he anticipated a second-level window, you know, kind of fit it over linebackers who were looming. Uh, and then that post route, too, you know, there was – uh, a safety in conflict and Ewers kind of kept his eyes forward just just long enough to get the safety to bite on the inside route and then had that wide open lane outside so you know things like that where he's seeing the field he's triggering fast and you know he's ultimately uh, maintaining that mechanical control which is necessary to capitalize on those opportunities so it's early right and again we've talked about Ewers before doesn't quite have the elite athleticism to kind of compensate for lapses in the operational range but what you wanted to see from him with that was development on that side. And I think that's exactly what we've seen, what we've seen through two weeks. And the Alabama defense, they were physical all day. They were hard-charging. They were physical. That was not an easy battle. I think Ewers passed with flying colors. Yeah, and I thought that he used his athleticism pretty well situationally. Yeah. Um, he, he used his legs a few times to pick up first downs. The next guy we're going to talk about, and I'm not going to really say all that much about J.J. McCarthy because I haven't watched uh, Michigan in depth these first two weeks of the season. What I will say is I have watched enough of J.J. McCarthy at this point to say he might be my favorite thrower of the football I've ever watched. I don't know what it is about watching J.J. throw a football. It, it's so aesthetically pleasing to me. Just the way that the ball comes out of his hands, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that baseball windup. It's much quicker than a baseball windup. It's kind of like that quick uh, when you're not in the windup, when you're in the stretch. Um, and you kind of do the quick set and go. It's what it kind of reminds me of. The ball just explodes out of his hands, and it looks like there's so, so much, so many RPMs on that football. It's just so much fun to watch him throw, and I think that you're seeing a little bit of the growth. I mean, he obviously hasn't been tested very much yet, mm -hmm. uh, which is another reason why I don't feel like we need to talk about him too much, but what we have seen from him so far are the exact things that we needed to see from him operationally to get to that next level and be a legit threat for QB3. Oh yeah, for sure, right? You know, I think we have so many metaphors in the in the in the chest here, you know, people talk about guys having howitzer arms, you know, he doesn't have a rocket launcher. Yeah. It's more like a, a rubber band, right? It just kind of snaps. You don't really expect it. it. He doesn't have the heft, you know, he doesn't quite have the size that you would expect to have that amount of velocity, but it just launches, man. It just goes. Uh so that elastic motion is really appealing for him and you know, yeah, you mentioned it. We knew we had the talent coming in. I remember we talked about him in a QB pod before the season. And you're like, this is going to be everyone's favorite QB who's probably in the day three range right now. You know, he can obviously grow, uh, but very tools rich, right? And he needed that that in improved refinement. Um, one note that I made in the preseason too was the poise wasn't really there, right? You know, I think in the pocket, not just managing space, but also kind of maintaining your mechanics, right? If he had a pressure threat, 
it was really easy for his process to just collapse last year. And then sometimes some iffy decisions under pressure. Uh, so you wanted to just see more maturation overall. I mean, if there's any way to summate it, that's the way. And that's exactly what we've got through two weeks. Now, keep in mind, he played UNLV. And then I think Eastern Carolina, right? So the competition has not been there. He doesn't, his, his, I think his best test coming up is not until October. He plays Minnesota in October. Uh, they got Tyler Newbin, Justin Wally, uh, Trayvon Smith in the secondary. So, you know, they've got that talent, but that's a long ways away. And then after that too, you know, I think beyond that point, you've got Ohio State, Penn State very late in the year. So we're not going to see the toughest tests from McCarthy until that point which is good because he'll have time to build up to it but in this limited sample size he's 48 for 55 i think 558 yards five touchdowns no interceptions he only has seven incompletions so far he's completing almost 90 percent of his passes i mean no matter who you're playing uh whether it's UNLV, an fcs team like those are those are ncaa football 14 numbers those are numbers where you're just putting the slider down to easy and just letting it work and that's what he's shown on tape too right you know obviously very athletic very mobile in the pocket, the arm talent we've talked about at length already. But this year, too, you know, he's very disciplined as a pocket navigator. You're seeing him slide away from from pressure, you know, slide with protections, you know, as he's surveying the field. You know, he's very in sync right now. And then there's times where, you know, he'll have a, a corner route with a with a flat underneath and he'll, you know, manipulate the flat defender into going for the underneath route with his eyes or a pump fake, too, and then just trigger on that corner route to the end zone. Uh, he's done that, you know, he's manipulated defenses with his eyes and he's p- putting the ball into very tight pockets with that arm talent. You know, it's that marriage of talent and operation, that marriage of talent and, you know, just mechanical execution that we're now seeing from McCarthy. And it's been a limited sample. The competition hasn't been there, but I'm really excited to see what he does do against a defense like Minnesota because already uh, he's trending up and he's really showing exactly what we wanted, which was more poise, more control. And more maturity. And I think having that in his toolbox with his tools, with his physical tools, uh, it's it's not brash to say he could be QB3 in a first round for, uh, quarterback prospect. Yeah. And moving on, uh, another guy who I kind of got a, a first look at this weekend um, after missing him in week one is Jalen Daniels. That game against Illinois, it was a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, the the throw rolling away to his right and throwing it down the field is going to be the one that everybody talks about. But that type of athleticism, that type of, like you like to say, arm elasticity, to be able to make that throw the way that he did is incredibly difficult. It was a lot of fun to watch him uh, kind of beat up on this Illinois defensive backfield um mostly down the field i mean he did a lot of pushing the ball down the field in that game it was a it was a very entertaining friday night football game to watch yeah he's a fun quarterback man i'm he's been one of my favorites for most of this cycle here right he was one of the more efficient passers in the league last year and then Mm -hmm. having a test against illinois that defense is not a it's it's not a bad unit at all it's one of the better units in college football and you know, the, the future NFL talent that's there, right? You've got Jerzon Newton, uh, Keith Randolph Jr. on the defensive line. You've got Tavion Nicholson, a guy that we're both fans of in the secondary. And then they always have players rotating in at safety who can be who can be contributors. And we've already seen those guys make plays uh, in week one they did. Week two, Jalen Daniels gave them some trouble, right? And so uh, Jalen Daniels, for me, I remember when we talked about him in our sleepers episode, right? One thing that really stood out to me is that this is a player who has the necessary traits to create when he needs to, you know, out of structure, 
but he also has the wherewithal and the control to take what's given in structure and use his eyes to manipulate space in the short range, right? That's something that, you know, some quarterbacks don't always have. Sometimes they kind of rely on their traits to create to a fault, right? You know, you want to see them have that control in the pocket, and he definitely has that. But against Illinois, that creation capacity was really on full display. You know, you're seeing him have the agility, the short area twitch to kind of evade sack threats and then the speed to get out in space, uh, the arm elasticity, right? You know, we say that time and time again, but that's a trait that can separate early round quarterback prospects. And I think we definitely saw that with his ability to generate velocity off script. You mentioned he was testing the deep range. He wasn't just doing that from the pocket, right? You know, even when he's rolling out, out of structure, he's still keeping his eyes downfield, processing windows and throwing the ball, throwing receivers open, throwing to a space and, you know, having that ability, that vision uh, to do that off script, but then also having the arm strength and arm elasticity to get the ball where it needs to go. Um, very valuable. So you see all those physical traits are there. And then a big test in Illinois defense, a lot of pressure, right? And he kind of, he navigated through it very, very cleanly. So Jalen Daniels, to me, is the guy who's on the rise, right? We need to see him kind of stack good games now. I think that's the most important thing for him, especially because he's a little under the radar still. But keep an eye on this guy. Don't just forget about him because he is a QB prospect with the necessary traits to elevate himself if he needs to. Now, you know, that the numbers are stacked against everyone in this class, man. I mean, we're talking about so many QBs and we've got so many more to talk about here. Uh, but Jalen Daniels, I think he definitely belongs in that conversation as one of the guys who's vying for early round capital. Yeah, uh, another guy who's going to be trying to vie for for early round capital. And it's somebody who I kind of thought from I, I think that something that we've seen from Michael Penix uh, this year so far is pushing the ball down the field. But I want to caution everybody that wants to talk about, you know, the arm strength with him being an issue or not being an issue and using pushing the ball downfield as a uh, barometer for arm strength. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about arm strength. Every single high-end college quarterback is able to throw the ball 50 yards downfield. It might take a lot for Tua Tungavailoa to throw the ball 60 yards downfield, but Tua has one of the weaker arms in the NFL, and he's still able to push the ball 60 yards downfield. Now, it might be behind Tyreek Hill because he runs a 4-2, but <laughs> it is going to get there. And that's the thing that we need to understand when it comes to Penix is he's not throwing with outrageous velocity down the field on these deep balls. His ball placement down the field has been outrageous. It has been so good, and I think that that is one thing that you can hold your hat on. And explosive plays being so important at the NFL level, I think that that is something that he can look at his film and evaluators can look at his film and say, hey, this dude is going to put the ball in the correct spot for where it needs to be down the field. I think when you look at the operational side of things, I loved that part of his game last year. I thought that, you know, being a you know, what fifth or is he a sixth year guy now? No, he's fifth year, right? I, I think, think he's a fifth year guy. Yeah, he's up but there. Being a, but being an experienced starter yeah. at the college level, I think is huge for a lot of these guys on this list. And I think that right away, you're looking at somebody who is probably like a Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe he's got a little bit more playmaking ability than Teddy ever had, but that's kind of what you're looking at. And you just have to ask yourself at the end of the day, is that going to be enough for your football team? And I think if you get the right supporting cast around him and that he, at the NFL level, I think that he's somebody who could have success. I don't think he's going to be somebody who you're eventually going to pay 50 plus million dollars to. I don't think that he has those type of high end traits to get you there. Uh, and that's just kind of what I've seen so far. 
I just wanted to caution people uh, about the velocity versus pushing the ball downfield debate. Yeah, the the biggest question for me, in my opinion, for Penix is always going to be the medicals, right? He's got multiple season ending injuries on his history. So teams are going to do their due diligence in a stacked QB class like that, like this one, you know, that could be a factor that kind of, you know, serves as the tiebreaker for him and a few other guys and maybe pushes them down to, you know, mid to late day two. I mean, we'll see where it settles out, but I'm a big fan of Penix and I think he's only shown reasons to be confident in him so far this year. Now, obviously he's got Roma Duns, he's got Jalen McMillan, he's got Jalen Polk, who's also very underrated in that receiving core. So that is a stacked offense and they've played like it for sure. But Penix is the, you know, the engineer behind their success. And, you know, it's really that ability to, you know, see those windows downfield. The field vision to all three levels is very impressive with him. And I think that's one thing that's, you know, valuable for the NFL project projection is that he definitely has the arm to push the ball into those tight spots. But he also knows what he's seeing. He sees things quickly, you know, and he's a good pocket operator who can, you know, take advantage of those those opportunities, right? You know, I think, you know, his lower body mechanics can still be a little cleaner at times, right? And, you know, the athleticism, he's a good athlete, but a little stiff with those hips. Uh, But then you look at the arm talent, you look at the processing ability, you know, this is a guy who, if he did make it to that mid to late day two range, I would be swiping him up because, you know, if he enters the game, He's got all the traits that you need to produce and then the competitive toughness on top of that, too. I mean, he's he's a tough guy, you know, both as a runner and a pocket operator. The poise is very impressive. Um, so the injuries are the biggest thing for me. You know, the well-rounded profile is very appealing. The arm strength is definitely good enough um, to for me to potentially field starting reps at the NFL level. The injury is going to cause some volatility with his projection, but one of the safer passers if you can get past that. And I think the other thing that we have to talk about when it comes to the injury side of things is the flip side of this. If you draft him on day two and you have an entrenched starter, maybe they're a veteran, um, but in a league that is going more towards mobility at the quarterback position, going more towards QB runs, you might see an uptick in quarterback injuries over the next few seasons. Mm -hmm. So I think having a guy with that type of college experience, somebody who can step in and I think play right away at the NFL level even if it's not ever going to be at a super high level, to have that level of backup is incredibly important in the modern NFL. So I think that even if you're drafting him to be a backup, I'm not going to necessarily say no to a guy late on day two or early on day three just because I have other positions that I need to fill. I can fill those other positions in free agency. I can fill them you know, later in the draft by trying to steal a guy who falls a little bit further than we thought that he should. But quarterback play is so integral to success at the NFL level that having a guy on the back end like Penix to come in if you need him, I think would be huge. Now, Bo Nix, a little bit of a comeback against Texas Tech. That's the type of stuff that I wanted to see from Bo Nix, you know, going and taking over a game late, getting those come from behind wins, seeing how he is able to handle adversity. Because I think the biggest issue that I had with him at Auburn was when things were collapsing around him, he folded and you're not seeing that anymore. He, it appears more confident in the pocket. And there's a lot with that Oregon offense that can make you more confident in the pocket than at Auburn. Uh, But I do really enjoy what I'm seeing from Bo Nix so far this season. The traits have always been there. I don't know if he's necessarily helped his stock yet this year in the way that others have, but he was also one of the guys that we liked the most 
throughout the summer. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a little bit tougher for him to raise his stock from the level that he was already at, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. Nick's was one of those guys who we already you mentioned it. We already liked coming because he already raised his stock last year. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. he was entering the year. He was very uncertain, but he played like a first rounder in 2022. Now, all that's left for him is to kind of maintain that trajectory. And I think he's definitely done that. I think he kind of falls into the category of Caleb Williams and Drake May, not from a ranking standpoint. Those two are separate at the top. But, you know, from, you know, the outlook so far in 2023, right through two weeks, he's done exactly what we expected him to do. He hasn't been perfect, but the athleticism, the high level creation capacity is there. And then you mentioned it, too, in high pressure situations that can be. You know, it wasn't that he folded all the time, but like the the volatility that his play style brings, right? It really contributed. Sometimes it created bad plays for the offense at Auburn, right? But at Oregon, he's been a lot more controlled and disciplined with that high level creation ability, and it's yielded results for his team. So I think, you know, having that again, we use a lot of the same words for a lot of these guys because we're looking for similar things. But that maturity, right? You know, to kind of complement his his playmaking ability, it's definitely there still. The accuracy is still there. The precision, um, the really smooth, natural mechanics, both in structure and off platform. Uh, I think Nick's is in kind of in the same category as Jordan Travis, who we're going to talk about a little bit now, where, you know, high level athlete, um, Nick's arm is probably stronger, but both guys really took the leaps they needed to take in 2022. And so far in 2023, uh, they've shown a lot of good things uh, to mirror that. Yeah, you were talking about the maturity um, when it comes to Bo Nix, and I think that you're still trying to see that maturity with Jordan Travis. Uh, It's a little bit different because obviously playing LSU, you're playing a a top five, top ten team in the country, and you're going to get pressured a little bit more. I thought early in that game against LSU, there was a little bit of panic under pressure mm-hmm. uh wanted to see a little bit more poise in the pocket he obviously again another guy that has fantastic creation ability and he showed uh that ability against lsu they obviously won that football game and i think that the thing that i liked most about travis in that week one matchup is that even though things went pretty poorly for him at the beginning it didn't affect the rest of the game and he improved as the game went on and then obviously <laughs> When you have Keanu, yeah. <laughs> just throw it up to him. But that's another thing, the ball placement, the trust. And I think that that's something that, you know, guys like Joe Burrow, guys like Josh Allen, to have that elite level trust in your playmakers to where you will put the ball at risk every once in a while. But you know Keon Coleman's going to high point that football. Uh, you know, you know that you have enough talent there that those guys are going to go out and make plays for you even when things are breaking down around you. Uh, it is weird for me still to see a Florida State team that has an offensive line that can survive, um, but they do survive a little bit, and I'm really interested to see as ACC play continues to go on that maturity throughout this year because when you sit down and you look at it, he is a six-year guy. He is an older prospect already. So uh will be very interesting to see how he is able to progress as a little bit of an older prospect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be one of those things, especially with all the pressure that's on this Florida State program. Like after the LSU win, a lot of people are counting on them to make the playoffs. That's just how it is, right? And they have the NFL talent to get it done, right? I mean, we mentioned Keon Coleman is absurd. Johnny Wilson as well. The offensive line is solid. That defensive line, uh, a lot of good contributors. Fabian Lovett, Braden Fisk, Jared Verse. Um, The team is definitely good enough. 
right? The yeah. offensive weapons are definitely good enough. So at the end of the day, man, it, it always eventually comes back to quarterback. And it, does your quarterback have enough? Is he better than the other guy, more consistent than the other guy? So Jordan Travis is going to have that pressure on him two to three years ago, right? You know, he didn't have the necessary confidence instilled in him by the coaching staff. But Mike Nordell has done a great job giving Travis the reins and letting him grow. And he took those steps last year. And now this year, too, you know, he's taken a few lumps here and there, but he's got the athleticism. You know, I think he's got the ability to create. And you mentioned it, too, having the confidence to give your playmakers chances in high leverage situations. Uh, some quarterbacks don't have that. Some quarterbacks just take the check down every time. Some quarterbacks don't have the the, you know, what they need to get past that first read and kind of take those opportunities. So Jordan Travis has that. And on top of that too, not the strongest arm, but does have the situational accuracy to put it in the best spot to maximize that receiver's chances. So you see all that, that's important. And I think as he gets into more high pressure situations on the road to the playoffs, hopefully um, we'll get to see more from Travis and how he grows. Riley Leonard is the next one. And I think that his stock is probably slightly up. I liked what I saw from him when it comes to uh, his performance against Clemson. I I think the one thing that I would like to see a little bit more is the ability to push the ball down the field. What I actually liked most about Riley Leonard was that the confidence, especially for he is one of the younger guys uh, that we're looking at in this class, the confidence in his operational side. I think that he did a very good job against Clemson's zone coverages of finding the open man or not finding him, but knowing where that open man was going to be based on the coverage uh, and making that decision before he was coming out of his break. I thought I saw a little bit of uh, anticipation from his game. I think that overall his natural accuracy, especially in the, the shorter areas of the field, is quite good. I know that there was a lot of talk in that first game about his downfield passing um, and his desire to improve that. I think that that's something that you actually liked from him last year, if I'm not mistaken, his deep ball passing. Yeah, the flashes were really good. Again, yeah. I think the consistency can still be there a little bit, but um, when when he's on, when he's dialed yeah. in, like, it's it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and he's obviously got enough arm as well. Um, he's got that type of athleticism that you need from a modern uh, quarterback prospect. So going to be really excited again. The ACC looks pretty good overall. He's already played one of his tougher opponents. We saw that game. It'll be fun to watch for the rest of the season at Duke because I think when you look at the team overall, he doesn't have the type of weapons that these other guys do. So if he's able to keep up in the ACC with what I deem to be lesser weapons, it'll be a a really fun debate to have at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think we can expect an uptick with the weapons. I think that was a rough game for them overall. You know, I think that Clemson defense maybe shell shocked them a little bit early on. Uh, They play with a lot of physicality. They've got a lot of talent. So, you know, they've got guys like Jalen Calhoun, Jordan Moore, you know, who have the necessary talent to separate and, and make tough catches. We've seen it from them before. Uh, So I'm hoping as they get a rhythm, Riley Leonard will get a bit more help because they weren't separating a ton. There were a few drops here and there. So, you know, I think overall not a great game to evaluate him as a passer in a vacuum because of that. But you mentioned it. I mean, the anticipation is there. I want to see the mechanics keep improving a little bit more, but he's, you know, trending up. He's a young QB. And then the athleticism, too. He doesn't always look super athletic, but then you see him creating separation, you know, using one cut agility to just, you know, uh, juke a defender out of his shoes. Right. You know, and then have the speed to kind of create space uh, when he's attacking vertically Uh, for his size. He's a phenomenal runner, phenomenal creation threat. And I think um, looking at that and how it impacts the modern game, something that will elevate Riley Leonard. So a young QB who's on the rise and has the athleticism, the toughness 
and the flashes of anticipation to you know kind of uh, support that ascent so again excited to see what he does the acc is not a super easy conference this year and there will be more tests down the road spencer rattler uh i think when you look at him maybe his stock isn't down but his stock might have been the highest after last year because of the intrigue i think when you look at his game i actually have seen more confidence uh, in his decision making and the ability to get the ball out of his hands quickly. But I think the biggest thing that I've seen with him is that he just has no time to operate. That offensive line is a travesty or it has been the first two weeks of the season. So I think looking at his game, uh, you know, especially in that week one game against UNC, I liked what I saw from him individually, independently. But outside of that, you can only make so many plays. You can only make so many throws if you are getting absolutely obliterated uh, every other time you drop back. So I think that it's going to be tough to, to see him really elevate his status much this year unless teams do really love to see the toughness and see that mental growth and the toughness mentally that it takes to take those hits and keep getting up, uh, especially against – what is going to be some stiff competition in the SEC with those defenses. So I think that it's going to be tough for Spencer Rattler this year, but I have personally liked what I've seen so far from him. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing is that evaluators when they're watching the tape, like they can pick up on that context when there's an offensive line, that's not helping out a quarterback a ton, right? They pick up on that. So I think, you know, it's going to be something that you're going to want to recontextualize after getting the full score story on Spencer Rattler, right? You know, this is why he wasn't as efficient in some phases, but so far this year, um, it looks like the, the turnover, the turnover worthy plays have been down, right? He's been much more efficient out of struck in the pocket, right? So things that you want to keep see improving, but we, we discussed a few times this summer, he's got the arm talent, you know, former highly touted recruit. He's always had that ability to him. Um, so it's just a matter of hoping he can kind of, sustain that growth from the tail end of last year and so far he's done that even in adverse conditions which is impressive so another guy to not forget uh one guy on our list who is stocked down right now nebraska quarterback jeff sims this is the guy we were talking about uh, a few times preseason as a guy who had the necessary athletic talent at 6'4 220 uh very crisp compact release uh a lot of the good things that we mentioned in the preseason were physical talent categories right you know athletic really good arm uh, so far at Nebraska, it's 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 been rocky through those two games right now. We'll see if he can get an opportunity to kind of sustain some some growth later on. Um, but operationally, man, it's just it's been it's been kind of sloppy. Honestly, that's the word that comes to mind. A lot of botched exchanges, you know, even even ahead of the throwing phase, you know, even before you get into that drop, you know, a lot of botched exchanges, fumbled snaps, things like that. Uh, just things where things aren't in sync like they should be. And then when he's a thrower, uh, we're not seeing a ton. You know, passes initial read, right? A lot of schemed plays for him, right? So, you know, we haven't seen a lot of that that development that we've been hoping for past that foundation, right? So there's still time, obviously, but also we know that college QBs have a short leash sometimes. So I don't know how, how much longer he has uh, to sustain this inconsistent play before he is benched for another uh, passer. I, I don't know if it's happened yet, but a guy who definitely still has work to do for sure. And, and it goes to show, you know, physical tools matter. They separate the early round prospects from the later round prospects, but you can't only have that right now. I think Jeff Sims definitely has the physical talent, but we still need to see a lot more on the operational side. Yeah. So uh, we got to get out of here very soon, but general scouting thoughts, on Texas, Alabama, 
uh, or some of the bigger games in college football this week? Just rattle them off real quick. I'll rattle mine off and we'll get out of here. Texas, Alabama, A.D. Mitchell uh, is very good. I think very complete receiver for his size. Um, on the Alabama side, Malachi Moore. Uh, we don't always hear a ton about him, but I thought he had some really nice hits coming downhill. Uh, I think he was the guy who kind of raised some eyebrows uh, with that play. Uh, so that, that was a fun game. I'm trying to think of any more. Those are the first two that come to mind for me. We haven't had a ton of crazy matchups so far. We're going to get more uh, in week four. I think week three is a little bit down, but week four is going to have a ton of great matchups. So, uh, But Texas, Alabama, those were two players who stood out to me. Yeah, um, for me in, in Texas, Alabama, and I'll just uh, get it going here. Like I said, Jatavion Sanders. That size, that speed, that dude can move. It is a lot of fun. I don't know how great of a blocker he is. He didn't seem particularly interested in it on the outside some of those times. But uh, that's something that we can improve. Get the guy the ball. He can make plays. On the defensive side of the ball, this is in a, a little bit of a negative light. Um, I thought that, oh, why can't I think of his name? Terry and Arnold, the cornerback from Alabama. We always rank these guys highly. At the beginning of the season, a lot of the times, one of those guys this year, Kool-Aid, will continue to be a highly touted recruit. I think Terion Arnold is going the other way right now. I thought that he had a lot of trouble against his Texas offense. And so a little bit of a negative to end the podcast. But week three is coming up. We are going to preview week three in the prospect matchups on Thursday. Make sure that you guys are liking us on Facebook or following us on YouTube. Um, subscribing to us on YouTube. Make sure you that you go. guys are commenting on our YouTube videos. Make sure that you guys are giving us five-star reviews wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure that you guys are downloading those podcasts as well. It means a ton to us. Give us those five-star reviews. Make fun of my floral pink shirt. And uh, always remember, guys, that I love you. Goodbye. Bye.